dear God, I just want to be a perfect podcaster. I don't know why that's so hard. I try not to fucking murder animals or, like, beat old homeless women. But, you know, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta fucking do. And if that's what we have to do to be good podcasters, Derek, get the fucking crowbar. Let's go beat some possums. Aaron, you do realize the record button was pushed already, right? Oh, shit. I thought I was... Never mind. Okay. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast with your boy Mansfield and my cowardly co-host, Derek, where we discuss horror movies and their social relevancy and cool shits and who's in them and all the other fun stuff. And once again, we've got an extra special guest, our college buddy, filmmaker, Zach Lamplu. Our first celebrity guest, I like to say. Yes, absolutely. Writer, director of... Of 15 things you didn't know about Bigfoot, number one will blow your mind. So he is back once again to discuss Ricky Bates Jr.'s 2012 debut feature, Excision, which is going to be a fucking nasty, trashy movie to talk about, and it's going to be a blast. <laughs> yeah. Is it too early to say the joke doesn't matter had sex? Is the only- <laughs> yeah. That is basically the theme of this movie. Right up top, let's address the elephant in the room. Zach Lamplew, our buddy from college. Yeah. You were originally were on our our episode of creep it was episode 39 for listeners who want to go back and and check that out a certain company that starts with letter v and rhymes with dice uh (laughs) didn't seem like they approved of the the original title of your of the name of your movie yeah which we promoted the shit out of on that episode so uh please don't sue us sue whoever you want come at us (laughs) fucking losers (laughs) you had to change it you worried those guys are gonna beat you up with their skinny jeans. Yeah. And their craft beer. Yeah. Yeah, so I directed a movie. It's now called 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. Number one will blow your mind. It used to be called The Vice Guide to Bigfoot, and I sent it off to film festivals and stuff under that name, and uh, people didn't seem to get it. <laughs> that joke was just lost on people. Like, well, yeah, I guess now that we're opening this can of worms, I talked to somebody from Slam Dance. I just added them on Twitter. I didn't even know who it was. Like, I just added some on Twitter and they were like oh dude I'm one of the judges for slam dance dude your movie was so funny he was like oh you're the Bigfoot guy you're so funny dude and he was like your movie got all the way to the finals but we decided not to do it because uh you already have distribution with vice <laughs> and I was like what do I I don't I made this movie in my back <laughs> fucking yard and he was like no you made it isn't this with vice and I was like no man the whole thing is I almost be out I almost got into what <laughs> and so apparently we almost premiered at slam dance until they didn't get it either <laughs> god that sucks i mean yeah <laughs> that it does, does suck, suck. but uh but uh. it was at least funny so many reviewers have had a similar experience where i've started to read the review and they're like how was this movie ever affiliated with vice and i'm like it wasn't at all <laughs> but they just don't <laughs> fucking get it uh. sorry that was kind of a depressing anecdote here's a funny one so back when we were like first trying to get distribution our rep we were talking about reaching out to Vice because there was still a possibility. We were like, wouldn't it be funny yeah. if Vice put this out? If Vice, They actually like, did do it, it, yeah. And then they were like, we want to be part of this. It's funny. And so I found some emails. Oh, and our rep was like, hey, there's this software you can install for sales leads on emails. He was like, so it lets you basically see when other people open your email. Like you can send an email out and then when it's opened, you get another like a little thing that's like, ooh, someone's looked at yeah. it. So I found some emails from the people at Vice. Some of them were like people that work in development and like lower level people. 
And so I would send these pitch decks off and be like, here's this movie, the movie's made, here's the trailer, here's the screener, we premiered at these festivals. And they would get opened like once or twice or zero. (laughs) And then I got the email of this dude who was like head of development or head of production or something in the UK. Okay. I could tell he was like hot shit. Like, probably his boss was, like, Shane. I sent it to him, and then within 24 hours, you could tell he'd forwarded it to, like, the whole company. Yeah. Like, he was <laughs> like, what the fuck is the meaning of this? <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it did get up to about 75 or 80 opens. Like, I could tell a bunch of people were looking at it. Yeah. And then we basically got told to stop. <laughs> but, yeah it was it wasn't scorched earth or anything like that but sure it was, it was just like i could tell this guy is screaming at somebody yeah you got the picture before it had to become a problem yeah yeah, yeah. So, somebody's yeah. getting their ass handed to them over advice somebody's lawyers are fucking calling me which is so stupid but whatever <laughs> yeah Christ. What, a, what a good ass time confusing everybody <laughs> but i mean either way at least your movie has made the circuit yeah yeah, yeah it was good Start to pop up and on a lot of streaming which is pretty awesome yeah it's a good time it's out on amazon itunes voodoo the dvd just came out oh shit that's awesome yeah because yeah, yeah. i saw it on apple the other day and i was just like fuck yeah 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 yeah. awesome yeah it's a good time people like it i get like tweets at me every so often that are like hey this was really funny and i can tell you guys in august it will be on showtime oh shit yeah hell yeah, awesome. yeah it's sold to showtime. congratulations man yeah and i know i watch it and i think aaron you watched it at the same time when it was still under the original title yeah and i really enjoyed it thought it was a good time it was a quick watch too it was like only what hour 23 minutes or something like that yeah it was just under it was like just under 95 or 80 or yeah it was a tight movie and everything yeah and it's got perfect build up in terms of how found footage movies in my opinion at least should work where you get lured in you get the gist of everything you learn who the characters are you care about the characters you kind of figure out what the plot is and then by the end everything just really goes off the fucking rails in the most satisfying way it's fantastic it's super fun top to bottom definitely worth checking out especially now that it's widely available we saw it when it was at Chattanooga Chattanooga Film Film Festival Festival, virtual last year but I'm definitely looking forward to watching it again matter of fact I'm like I'm looking at it on my phone right now and I'm about to hit buy on it so super excited um you mentioned dvd are y'all getting a blue uh i'm sure we are okay cool. sure we are i don't know you know to be honest i don't even know how that's being handled Guard. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay for some reason i thought it was in the contract that i had to handle it and then all of a sudden when i started getting emails that were like what do you think of this menu i was like i guess this isn't my thing okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah i guess someone has this shit okay all right yeah you're oh, the yeah. director you already did your bit yeah let the marketing team take over but yeah for our listeners once again check out 15 things you didn't know about bigfoot number one will blow your mind it has to be up there as one of the longer movie titles in history <laughs> yeah and uh yeah give it a watch now that it's popping up on all the streaming yeah. services google it watch the trailer if it's your thing check it out i've told people it's like creep meets pop star never stop never stopping <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like if creep had five or seven minute intervals where you're like wait is this pop star is this a uh, lonely island yeah definitely worth checking out so we had a blast watching it last year and i definitely would like to watch it again now that there's a fully formed finished retitled version of it and catch up on it one more cool cool uh like usual we will talk about some quick recommendations for anything horror related that we have 
read, listened to, watched, played games-wise, just anything horror-related. Like always, we will start with our guests. So, Zach, have you gotten into anything like horror or genre adjacent to horror lately? Okay. Have you seen uh, Come to Daddy, the Elijah Wood movie? Yes. (laughs) Did you talk about that? No, I have not. Yeah, I did see it, and I enjoyed it a good bit. I was surprised at how good it was. Or It's just like, you gotta finish it. Yeah. It really turns on a dime halfway through. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of every movie that comes out of some of these horror festivals. Going into it, I really was like, I should watch this because everyone's going to be talking about it. Like, I was like, I should at least, like, check it out. I kind of went into expecting to be really underwhelmed. Yeah. And it was really good. It kind of started off slow. It fooled me into thinking it was going to be one of those fucking movies. Like you said, there's a tonal shift that happens where, like, all of a sudden you're like, okay, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 15 minutes in i was like another festival movie great and then 40 (laughs) minutes in i was like this is a really fucking intense good movie yeah i really appreciate all the weird zags that elijah wood has been taking in the last like 15 years or so with his career just knowing that oh he's about to be in the fucking toxic avenger remake you know with fucking kevin bacon and peter dinklage fucking sure right (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know that. So yeah, it, Come to Daddy was pretty fucking great. I also see that you watched Synchronic. Yeah, Synchronic. Which I watched that one fairly recently as well. Yeah. Really dug it. Yeah. And have you seen Moorhead and Benson's other movies? Yeah. So actually, Dave Lawson, who produces all their movies, I'm actually buds with that guy. Cool. I met him at Chattanooga Film Fest. Awesome. Like two or three years ago. So I knew the plot of Synchronic. Or I just kind of knew like the logline of Synchronic like before sure. it came out, you know? Someone told me it was time traveling drugs. And I was like, oh, it sounds like shit. I'll be honest. Like, I, or it just sounded like it wouldn't make sense sense like i was just like i don't know how the fuck you're gonna do time travel heroin that sounds <laughs> fucking lame yeah you know i was like ah, it sounds like it's not gonna make a lot of sense but then whenever i saw the movie i saw it at panic fest in 2020 in january it was like really good it was one of the better movies at the festival i was like oh, i didn't think time travel heroin ecstasy would be good but <laughs> it actually like held my attention all the way through everybody in it is killer like they all have really good relationships it's probably the best of their movies i personally think it's the best of their movies so far i've enjoyed their other stuff and i say this with all love and endearment because granted i have not fucking made a feature personally right you finished your first one but their first movie definitely has that oh you made this on a shoestring budget first movie kind of feel right yeah and like i said i say that with all love because i really like the resolution a lot But to watch them progress as filmmakers Mm -hmm. and get exponentially better on their very next movie and then get even better than that on the next one. And to the point like where they're at with something like The Endless, pretty mind boggling for the level that those guys have been working on and the resources they've been working with. It's really interesting start to finish to see like how they've progressed. And now they're about to do the fucking Moon Knight show for Disney Plus with Oscar Isaac. Yeah. The fuck, right? Dude, and they just shot something. Actually, I don't know if this is, well, whatever. They just shot an independent movie during covid oh yeah yeah i heard about that kind of here and there but i don't know what it's about oh i don't know what it's about either i just know i was hanging out with dave and he was like we shot this movie during covid for like nothing yeah he was like we shot this thing in our house and i was like okay and he didn't tell me like anything about the plot but he was just like we shot this awesome movie we all juggled camera duty (laughs) you know yeah i'd I'd read about that a couple of weeks back i just have no idea what it's going to be about yet and i wonder how many like people are going to start slowly trickling out movies like that filmmaker 
filmmakers at all levels of just like we for fun during COVID had nothing better to do so we shot this low budget thing and I actually going back to come to daddy I just remember looking up stuff about it when we were thinking about doing Pontypool because Stephen McCaddy is in that movie and I remember kind of briefly reading synopsis this was a while back so I don't remember like what happens but being like what the fuck we have to do this movie eventually Stephen McCaddy's pretty nuts and come to daddy and I, I generally like him in a lot of other stuff too I also see that you checked out the it says British Conjuring yeah. on our notes. I'm assuming I you mean Conjuring, conjuring 2? Yeah. Was it Conjuring 2? I don't even know, man. I've, I've like watched so many of those. Okay. Is that the one where it's like the old guy? Yes. It, is it? Okay. Yes. <laughs> British Conjuring. <laughs> the British Conjuring. And that's the thing. I didn't know if it was like the Conjuring 2, which was about, yeah, the infield poltergeist, or if it was a British knockoff of the Conjuring where it's just a bunch of people going like, oh, you fucking heard that. Yeah, it sounds like there's a fucking real banger in the kitchen. That's pretty much where that was. <laughs> well, I feel like I've seen... Well, there was Annabelle. And then... Yes. What's the one where it's the little girls break into the mom's office and then they unleash all the shit? That is Annabelle 3. Is it Annabelle 3? Shit. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, there's been I, three of them. <laughs> I thought that was a Conjuring 1.5 or something. I don't know. I mean, it kind of is. That's the yeah. thing. Like, it's more of a Conjuring movie than it is a fucking Annabelle movie. Yeah. Honestly, I did talk about these movies in the last couple of weeks because I'd watched the new one, but... Annabelle 3 was my favorite of that bunch because that's the most okay let's actually blow this concept up a little bit and it's more than just a creppy doll that is making people jump out of windows so I that one was a little bit more fun it kind of felt like the expendables of Annabelle (laughs) (laughs) yeah everyone's in it it's it's a squid man ghost bride samurai suit monkey chimes we got everybody everyone's in this one and then also, I couldn't not mention Murder Mystery, the Adam Sandler movie. Christ. <laughs> it's not horror. It's not, like, appropriate for this podcast. Yeah, I was about to say, you do realize this is horror recommendations, bud. But have you seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't. That's the one that QAnon was going crazy oh, about, right? They? Because they kept seeing, like, Q pillows and shit, and then Wait, nobody what? realized his name just starts with a Q. Oh. You know, like, it was, like, some bullshit like that. That's all I, that's all I remember. I've not seen it, honestly. Okay, so the only reason I wanted to check it out... I'm not like a big Sandler head, but I saw that it's the same director from Workaholics, Kyle Newichek. Really? Yes. So okay. when you watch it, it still feels like a big Adam Sandler or uh, what's his name, Paul Blart. Kevin James. Yeah, yeah. it's still uh, it's, it's, he's Paul Blart now. It still looks like a big movie like that, but it has quirky lines in it that you can totally tell. It's like, oh, that was totally written for Blake, but it's coming out of Adam Sandler's mouth. Yeah, it's sure. weird. It's pretty funny at some parts, but it definitely is strange. Where it's like somebody just copy pasted. They were like, just put Kyle Newichek on David Spade. Do that one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're saying for sure. <laughs> but it's not related to horror, but I wanted to let you know it's surprising. Okay. Anyway, do you guys have any horror stuff? I'll stop talking about horror movie murder mystery. <laughs> Yeah, the the, the scary Adam Sandler vehicle. Yes. Yeah, really. Spooky dookie. Derek, what have you got? This is one that I'm surprised it took me this long to get around to. It's a comic book, and it's one issue. And it is written by none other than John Carpenter himself, the famous horror director. And it's a DC comic book. During the Ah. year of the villain back in 2019, they put out a one-shot with a cover date of December 2019, but I think it was originally published like technically on back on October 9th, 2019. Comics are weird like that. John Carpenter was one of the co-writers along with Anthony 
Anthony Birch. And they were doing these one shots of just super villains across the DC universe and having like guest writers come in for some of them and all that. For the Joker, they got John Carpenter in to write this one-off issue. The Joker in recent years has caused me to roll my eyes a lot because of that fucking Joker movie. And this is what I actually like of the Joker. Whether this was Carpenter's call or, or Birch's, it felt a lot like Carpenter's influence was all over this comic book to me. But instead of trying to like make the Joker the main character and like do this like deep dive of what makes the Joker tick, is he a folk hero? Why is he like this? Instead, it, it's from the point of view of one of his henchmen. And this fucking comic book does not make any effort to try and like make the Joker sympathetic. He is fucking insane. He's murderous. He's downright creepy. He's what the Joker should be. We have examined the Joker so much in the recent years, especially with that fucking dumb Joker movie, <laughs> that this Carpenter one issue was a breath of fresh air of a Joker story just because it, it made no effort to make him out to be anything but a villain. A villain, like a fucking yeah. horrific. And again, because it was written by Carpenter, he treated it almost like he was this supernatural, not maybe not supernatural, but horror movie villain. He murders the fuck out of people. Minor spoiler alert, he shoots a dog. Just all kinds of crazy fucked up shit happens throughout this book. The only backstory that's explored at all is the point of view character, like the henchman that's really just kind of following him around, A, because he doesn't know better, and B, because he's kind of fucked either way. So the only way he can kind of survive is if he just goes deeper down into hell with the joker yeah otherwise the joker will murder him and like that all comes to a head at the end and of course it goes in a really dark direction but also too it kind of ends on surprisingly a little bit of a hopeful note i wish carpenter wrote more comic books now because like he seemed like he had a pretty good handle on the character so he has been writing comics i will say for a while now they're just all published independently or they're published through like a european group yeah but mm, okay he's definitely been writing horror comics with his wife uh i think like producing them for a while so i guess i should rephrase that then i, I would like to see him pop up more in more in mainstream like stuff. mainstream yeah. like doesn't necessarily have to be superhero stuff but if he's going to do superhero stuff i would love to see him like get characters like the joker or fuck even scarecrow that would be awesome and just work with those kind of characters because he really just took the simple concept the joker is a murderous psychopathic clown villain and he really leaned into that and like that was it it wasn't trying yeah. to do something more than it needed to do with the joker so yeah that's my first like real horror recommendation uh my second and last one i'll kick it over to you aaron and it's kind of tied back to one of our older episodes back on our 56th episode we tackled the silence of the lambs with a special guest vp morris vp at the time was plugging a book she was about to release called Shadowcast. cast ah, you got your copy yeah i got a copy when it dropped and I finally started reading it, um, and I'm about halfway through it now. And for those of you who don't know, Shadowcast follows an investigative journalist, I think back in like 2012, before like podcasts really kind of exploded. And she basically creates a podcast to try and find her missing friend who disappeared like when they were 15. But then slowly you start to find out that maybe the person who is responsible is kind of also listening in and trying to sabotage it or like go after her next. I, I won't give away too much 
but one of the things that V, I remember her talking about with Shadowcast was she liked the idea of exploring point of view from the killer or possibly the killer at the beginning of certain chapters and kind of feeding you a little bit of nuggets slowly from their point of view and yeah. as you find out more. And she very much does that with her writing. It's very easy to read. It's a very quick read. Honestly, just haven't finished it because, you know, newborn dad life. Uh, I kind of read when I can. But like, you know, at first you think she's kind of writing caricatures, but like she slowly brings you in and you learn more about these characters and she flushes them out and paces it in a really easy but also like intriguing way that kind of keeps me wanting to read more. Um, and again, it's just a really easy thriller to read. If you want to check out Shadowcast, again, it is by VP Morris, who was back on our 56th episode of Silence of the Lambs. If you want more details, you can listen to that episode. Or if you just want to check out Shadowcast, go to Black Rose Writing. You can probably just Google Black Rose Writing and they published it. And I believe you could probably find links to it off of her Twitter or just search VP Morris author in Google and you could probably find it. She also does a podcast that I think she recently wrapped up called Dead Letters Pod, which was also a pretty fun listen, especially for any horror fans out there. And we probably will get her back on the podcast sooner or later. She has wanted to come back on and we'd like to have her back on. Uh, But yeah, check out her book, Shadowcast. It's a great read so far, a lot of fun, pretty solid thriller so far. And that's all I got. So back to you, buddy. I am still plugging away at the Apple TV Plus show, Lisey's Story, which is an adaptation of the Stephen King novel. Oh shit, I thought you had finished it. No, it is not quite finished yet, but it is getting close. Very much enjoying it so far. It's a good adaptation of the book, and it's also a solid TV production. Sometimes it can be a good adaptation, but not good TV or movie content, or vice versa, and not really adapt the book well. This is kind of the best of all worlds. Darius Kanji is the cinematographer for the entire series, and I can't stress enough how fucking gorgeous the whole thing is to look at. So I've really, really enjoyed watching it. Um, All the performances are solid, and even with Dane DeHaan in it, who I have a little bit of an allergy to, so (laughs) I have been enjoying that. I guess to bring it real down, Arrow Video has been doing their two or three times a year sale, where they throw every one of their fucking movies down to like three dollars a piece on itunes so if you're curious it's a good way to check out a lot of their titles that they put out for three bucks and if you didn't like it you spent three bucks it's cheaper than renting it and it's certainly cheaper than buying a 25 to 30 dollar blu-ray right so i like it because i can stack up a bunch of movies that i'm curious about or maybe grab everything out of a box set if i don't necessarily want to spend the money on the box set just see if i like the stuff in it first so i definitely uh Um, grabbed a bunch of their titles while they were really cheap. One that I watched was Cold Light of Day from 1989, directed by Fiona Louise. This is a British movie. It is a semi-fictionalized version of the Dennis Nilsson story from England. He was a serial killer who operated in the 80s. He would lure men back to his apartment and have sex with them and then fucking strangle them while listening to to tubular bells and then he would fucking hide their bodies under the floorboards and in the closet crawl space of his apartment tubular bells is the exorcist theme right it's the exorcist theme yeah i mean it but came it out also gets the... like super prog too yeah, yeah, yeah. and then eventually he was butchering the bodies and flushing all
all the like meat parts down the toilet and like throwing the bones out in the trash and just doing everything he could to hide these bodies. And eventually it just became one of those like, well, there's too much body meat in the plumbing of this building and things go bad and there's too many garbage bags full of body remains yeah, that he's... dogs keep tearing open <laughs> he was fucked yeah he's he's right up there with Dahmer and as, uh, as yeah. far as really fucked in terms of depravity and just unabashedly like I have a crazy addiction and the addiction is I love murdering people it's interesting because the movie is so fucking stark dark and explicit but not explicit it's very explicit about what's going on it just doesn't show it to you but it makes no bones about what's actually happening and the things that this guy is doing you're just not seeing all the grisly details you see some but you're not getting like everything full horror show again this is kind of a fictionalized version like the main character is not actually dennis nielsen his name is john march or something like that but it's the same story this director like the only thing i can find is this movie like do you know what happened to them or i don't know um i have no idea what happened with her she was an actress but she was really not hardly in anything I think she was in like some shorts and that was it. So yeah, I don't know. This is just like a weird one-off movie that kind of happened. But this is the stuff that Arrow really excels in bringing back out to modern audiences and kind of rescuing from the VHS graveyard. So that was interesting. Can I say, uh, you're actually wrong. He didn't just listen to Tubular Bells. He also listened to Tommy by The Who. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the other one. Is pretty fucking goofy that's much goofier (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah but he was definitely obsessive in the way of hey mate you need to come over and check out this wall fucking track i got it's really cool and then he would just play fucking tubular bells blasting loud and that's like a 20 minute long prog song and eventually be like is it too loud hold on let me get you some headphones put headphones on whoever his victim was and while they were listening to the fucking headphones he'd fucking strangle the shit out of them while they were listening to it i I shouldn't say this but he sure plays a mean pinball (laughs) (laughs) that had to have happened right like yeah. Probably. Uh, how many people have murdered to the Who? Let's be honest. Just this dude. Just this dude and fucking Pete Townsend uh, murdering children. Um, anyway... <laughs> I also grabbed all of the Gamera titles. That's kind of Diet Coke Godzilla. I love Gamera. I watched a lot of Gamera movies growing up. Is Gamera a bad guy in Godzilla, though? Gamera is the giant flying turtle that, like, shoots fireballs and shit. But, yeah, he had his whole series of movies, so I picked up all of those. Dude, I had no idea. I thought Gamera was just, like, a one-off villain in in Godzilla. Nah, fam. Now, there's a whole line of Gamera shit, and uh, Arrow did a massive huge box set and then they did two standard releases that kind of split it by the two different studios but yeah that's like kind of the next biggest kaiju thing aside from all the godzilla movies and uh it's pretty delightful so i 
checked out some of those. And then another thing that I want to bring up is the Bloodthirsty trilogy. And I don't know that I've mentioned these before, but I might have. This is a trilogy of fucking vampire movies from Japan in the 1970s. And what? they're rad as fuck. What? They are like actual straight up fucking Dracula movies, but Dracula's Japanese. <laughs> and they're pretty fucking cool. We're going to do these movies on this podcast eventually, right? What are they? What's this called? Maybe. So Arrow put it out as the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. I think that's like the official title for all three, but it's Lake of Dracula, Evil of Dracula, and The Vampire Doll. And they are kind of rad as fuck. Like they have all the feel of the Hammer horror movies from the 60s, where they have that stage-bound kind of artificial feel with all the really heightened lighting and acting and everything. But then they also still have the same feel of all the like Nikatsu Japanese crime films and shit like Branded to Kill. They just have like a really insane heightened kind of feel to them that was, again, keep saying it, rad as fuck. But I really, really enjoyed all three of those and would definitely recommend them to anybody that wants to take advantage of that sale or grab them the next time that they're out. And you can buy it as a trilogy with all three movies through Arrow. So I would definitely recommend checking those out. And they have, and I think I I bought one of them during the sale, but they have a like Invisible Man Returns and Invisible Man versus the Human Fly, which are also kind of riffs on the Universal Horror movies, but they're Japanese. So I'm very curious to see what those look like as well, just out of curiosity. But yeah, lots of good shit with Arrow right now, and there's a bunch that I want to catch up on. So that's really all I've got right now. So let's go ahead and transition into talking about this crazy fucking movie. Oh, fucking boy. (laughs) So yeah, once again, we are going to be discussing Excision, which is the directorial debut from Ricky Bates Jr. Came out in 2012, starring Annalyn McCord, Tracy Lords, and a bunch of other great people. So here's an idea of what you're going to be getting the fuck into. I need the plunger. You and your father are relentless. Entering as you knock completely defeats the purpose of knocking. Oh my god. What did you do to your arm? Relax, I'm not a cutter. It's sort of like a tattoo. It's hideous. What on earth would compel a young girl to carve a crucifix into her arm? It's the symbol for the Red Cross. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, Zach, what do you think? You're our guest. We'll let you start off with first thoughts. Oh, man. Ten thumbs up. <laughs> no, but for real. like it, This it... movie was gruesome. Uh, it was gruesome, and it was strange, and it had every actor in it. Yeah, there's a lot of fucking good people in this movie yes. for it being this guy's directorial debut that he made on a shoestring. Yes. There's a fucking Oscar winner in this movie in a very bit part, and she does 30 seconds of scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, this movie had a lot of people in it, and had some really crazy imagery, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It had a lot going on. It really went places I didn't think it was going to, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, 
real quick, we were trying to think of what to watch with you. Yeah. Because we we straight up asked you, and you were like, I don't fucking know. Y'all pick. <laughs> so I was yeah. trying to think of something that was more along the lines of comedy, because you do have a comedy background in stand-up, and you and I generally enjoy, like, really fucked up weird stuff. Yeah, one of my horror picks was an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like, when we were living together, we definitely watched, like, a lot of really weird yeah. off-kilter shit. Aaron, I hope you didn't cut out the Paul Blart 2 recommendation he made earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get around to that uh, maybe again this year. Hint, hint. Yeah. Anyway, I was trying to think of something that had a little bit of, like, a comedy edge to it, but maybe not a straight-up comedy horror. Yeah. Something that was maybe a little more tongue-in-cheek. I consider doing Adam Rifkin's The Dark Backward, which is about a stand-up comedian, but I figured that might be a little bit too on the nose, and maybe that movie's not entirely horror. It's also not entirely fucking easy for people to watch right now either, but Excision is pretty much consistently always on some kind of streaming platform, and it is definitely the kind of dark, fucked-up humor that I know you typically enjoy. Yeah. I kind of figured this would be right up your alley. I watched it on Tubi, I think. I don't know if it'll still be on there by the time this comes out, but that's where I watch it. Yeah, but it's been on Amazon, it's been on Shudder, it's been on Netflix, it's been on fucking every platform kind of on and off, so this one's fairly easy to see for people. Yeah, I gotta be real though, for you guys, this movie seems a little, uh, you know, obvious. Necrophilic romance, you know, sure. Coming of age story, definitely. Together at last, like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is just a Hollywood cash cow. I I was surprised you picked such a mainstream title. Well, the thing that I like is, because when this movie came out, it was a very, like, he made this as a full-blown feature of a student film that he made as a short years before. Yeah. Shoestring budget, literally got all the fucking film students at the school that he attended to do it as their senior projects kind of shit. He bought a bunch of bunk beds and filled his fucking apartment with bunk beds to, like, house everybody for free. Oh, yeah. Basically, like, cashed in every fucking favor he had, connived all these other big stars to, like, come by for one day and, like, film their scene and get the fuck out, right? And then he, like, you know, in a crazy, stayed up for five days straight kind of state, put the fucking DVD in the slot for Sundance and didn't even think about it. And then turns out, oh yeah, it's cool, you're in Sundance. And that was kind of where this movie, like, really broke was it debuted at fucking Sundance and I was listening to his episode of Movie Crypt with Joe Lynch and Adam Green and I love Joe Lynch's quote from that which was just this is definitely a first movie but it also probably should have been your last fucking movie because (laughs) nobody should have ever let you make another movie after this realistically like this is the kind of thing that somebody makes and then like they never get another fucking opportunity ever again because this movie is so caustic I texted you Aaron because I I didn't know if Zach and you would watch it yet or or not Yeah. so I just texted Aaron this is the probably the first movie since trying to remember the, the last time like a movie really floored me like this for our show might have been Black Christmas my jaw was on the fucking floor like when the credits came up that last fucking scene which is also like the most horrific and tragic scene in the movie yeah. Yeah. was burned into my brain to the point where not lying I had a fucking nightmare that kind of was almost like one of her dreams after watching yes, this movie it worked <laughs> I fucked your night up finally this movie it, it doesn't have really jump scares in the sense of you know a jump scare but like no it has haunting imagery that kind of flashes on the screen sometimes it doesn't have a lot of the traditional like horror movie shit in it but it's a 
thousand percent a fucking serial killer in training coming of age budding into her fucking like womanhood yeah murder mayhem kind of thing by the end of it we had this conversation it was refreshing to see this instead of in a traditionally or like in a lesser movie it'd be like some fucking punk ass boy who was just murdering birds and squirrels and dissecting them exactly this is all the same exact horse shit that you see in every other, like, serial killer, budding, teenager, fucked up movie, but it's always a boy. Yes. It's never a fucking girl that is grody, greasy-haired, has fucking awful social skills, awkward as fuck, and is obsessed with blood and killing animals and all the typical fucked up stuff, right? And Anna Lynn McCord, who plays the lead in this, Pauline, she is a model and when they filmed this movie i think she was still technically an adult above 21 when they even they filmed this and so they did like a transformation on her for pauline that was very reminiscent of i'm thinking more modern like pen 15 the two girls in pen 15 being like turned into like middle school kids kind of along those lines where it's like really fucking impressive with just the way her body acting is yeah makeup and all that for the character just insane also like you've been saying it's fucking bananas that the people who show up for like one to two to three scenes in this movie you got like Malcolm McDowell Ray Wise fucking John yeah. Waters like, fucking Marley Matlin again like yeah. Academy Award winner for best actress Marley Matlin is in this fucking movie for like 30 seconds yeah this movie haunted me after watching it more than most of the movies we've done recently at least it was kind of along those lines of like The Shining where there was striking and really creepy and fucked up imagery on screen it wasn't making me like hide my eyes or anything like that but it was making my jaw hit the floor but then this movie stuck with me after i watched it um horror newbies i would not start with this fucking movie (laughs) unless you really want to just like tie a brick to your legs and uh throw yourself in the deep end now fam fuck that dive in head first (laughs) (laughs) to give you an idea the literally the first fucking scene of this movie is a dream sequence where there's two versions of her staring at each other one of them is gushing blood out of every fucking orifice and the other one is coming harder than she ever has in her life yeah (laughs) that's the first opening scene of this movie all the dream sequences like i love how they take that idea of indie art house even maybe even horror art house oh the dream sequences are great yeah turn that on its head they'll keep that backdrop of that very fluorescent kind of undisclosed sort of clinical sort of hospital setting lots of surgery kind of imagery in those but then like you have her pulling a fetus out of her vagina and some guy in makeup throwing it into an oven that kind of dream sequence yeah it doesn't fucking hold back its punches with like those horrific dream sequences so no and aside from the horror stuff it doesn't fucking hold back its punches with the fucked up matter of fact really biting sense of humor and that goes through all of his movies i love trash fire That movie is uncomfortable and mean-spirited as fuck, but it's hilarious. In the same way that this movie's hilarious, like, if you have a fucked-up sense of humor, you're gonna love this movie. I guarantee it. Oh, dude, that cut when her mom says something, like, trying to be affectionate, and she's obviously spitting out milk to start laughing, and it cuts, like, to the next scene. I fucking laughed out loud because of, like, just how quick that was. Yeah, there's so many of those moments. Overall, it kind of wears all of its influences on its sleeve leave a little bit there's a lot of trashy off-color john waters kind of humor guess what john waters shows up 
as a fucking priest in this movie, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of Cronenberg, like, body horror kind of stuff in it because she's obsessed with surgery and wants to become a doctor, but of course is like a fucking really naive child and is just playing dissection in a bunch of fucked up ways, right? It has a lot of that same Todd Solon's fucked up family kind of dark humor in it as well. Like, the movie's very much wearing its influences on its sleeve, but it's one of those gestaltic things where it is the sum of all of its parts. So it's not just riffing on, like, the one thing over and over and over, and it's just really naked in, like, what it is. It's a very good kind of combination of all of that to create this one cumulative effect, and it fucking steamrolls all the way to, like, a fucking insanely intense ending that we've all said will fucking knock you on your ass. Intense and tragic, yeah, like, knocked me on my ass. Well, and also, too, if we're gonna talk about the horrors it explores, too, like, despite all the really fucked up dreams, just the ideas of a dysfunctional family, a family that's kind of run or trying to run on hardcore militant Christianity. Yeah. And then also on top of that, you have a sibling who like has cystic fibrosis in this movie, uh, Ariel Winter's character, Grace. That poor girl, fucking Jesus. Um, But <laughs> it doesn't hold back because the first scene you see of her is just like a cut for like two seconds where she's in that oxygen chair that cystic fibrosis patients have to go in to like keep their oxygen levels up. But that's the fucked up thing because it is tragic because you're like super looking tragic. at a child who's dealing with it but the way that he fucking shoots it is just her in this giant oversized jiggle vest just shaking and looking fucking miserable and bored <laughs> like yeah, it's just yeah. such a matter of fact kind of way that he shoots it but then later on you have her finding out one of her friends who uh, also had cystic fibrosis passed away yeah. and like that's really fucking brutal to watch but you have the, those kind of fears and, and then you just have the, the fear of being an awkward as fuck teenager in high school and how teenagers and kids can be pretty fucking malicious if you are at all out of the norm yeah i mean it also leads to some fucking funny moments like when she finally goes to that dance she has that cold sore and she like Uh. that little kid is being a shit to her that's dancing with her so she just fucking kisses him to give him the cold sore too it has those moments as well but yeah I, i don't know like this movie really knocked me on my ass like you said i will say and this is gonna be my like maybe controversial take for this movie you were talking about like the horrors of being a teenager especially if you're like awkward and you're being bullied and all that and just like oh we all had to go through those growing pains and the horrors of puberty right fuck that my take is this movie is about the fucking horrors of being kind of the like average kid you just want to fucking stay out of everything and you have to deal with the really fucking weird kid who says off shit (laughs) that sits next to you in class and you have to deal with them constantly and oh by the way they're like cutting their fucking fingers open with a protractor in class and like wiping blood on the bottom of their chair yeah you just want to get the fuck away from them right yeah we've all been there too it's kind of one of those things where you know she is so sympathetic because she's so awkward and you just want her to be happy and you just want her to like have friends but at the same time 
90% of it is her own fucking doing. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah. you know what? She could also take a fucking shower, and she could also wash her hair, and she could also, like, learn to be fairly sociable and not be so fucking mean to everybody around her. So it is that weird, you hear about it all the time with established, known serial killers that have been caught, and we know their life details. That weird superiority complex that so often goes along with those weird kids who think they're smarter than they really are and are really awkward and like don't have those social skills to really fit in and like i said you want to feel bad for them you want them to like feel better about themselves and fit in and have friends and like be generally adjusted not fit in and be a normie i'm not saying that at all be as weird as you fucking want be happy with yourself right have a life have friends be happy 99 percent of the problems are like caused by her so yeah no i would totally say most of the horror in this movie is being a parent and that's your fucking child or being in school and like that's the kid that's sitting next to you being a kid and like that's your older fucking sister and like that's what you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis right like the horror is being around that person not being that person and in her own weird way she loves her sister totally totally it comes back to like really fuck things up but yeah yeah. and that's the other thing that i like about this movie is that in so many fucking movies the teen has this combative relationship with one or both of the parents right that's fairly normal for this type of movie but i like that the sibling relationship relationship remains one of love and care for the most part even if there's like some jealousy and resentment present between them mm-hmm. because Pauline definitely has that Jesus fucking Christ my like goody goody sister who is sick mm-hmm. gets all the fucking attention gets all the care she can never fuck up no matter what I do no matter how hard I try I will never be like at that level in my parents eyes right so like there's some jealousy and resentment there but she genuinely does does seem to love her sister and she wants her sister to be able to experience life and that's interesting because she doesn't seem to care about that for herself at all so i think that dynamic is super interesting and not at all one that you see in really many movies at all you don't see a ton of movies or at least you didn't used to see a ton of movies about sister relationships you would see a lot of movies about brothers you would see a lot of movies about child and parent relationships but not a lot of sister movies necessarily but yeah it's all of that is interesting and i guess let's kind of back up a little bit to go back to your point about the like religious aspect of this family interesting because religion is kind of all over this movie too between like the mom her going to those counseling sessions with the priest and then just having those prayer sessions where she like talks to god before she does something yeah which again i could totally see a serial killer who has like some kind of religious background around doing something like that in their own head yeah. before they do a murder or whatever but yeah Lamplu, what were you about to say no i, I did think to what Mansfield was saying yeah it was interesting that, it, that the the only i guess real like positive relationship was the siblings yeah 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 like what you were saying a lot of it is caused by her a lot of her problems <laughs> yeah but weirdly enough that was like the one warm relationship in that whole movie Up until what happens. (laughs) Yeah, like, obviously, the husband and wife don't get along. 
Yeah. The mother doesn't get along with anybody. The dad kind of gets along with the kids, but both of the kids know he's kind of a dipshit. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really have respect for him. Exactly, yeah. And you could tell, like, he's in that stage where, in his life where he's like, this is as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of, like, what's going yeah. on through his head. And he's kind of a fuck up, too. He's in, like, permanent I've settled mode. Yeah. yeah. But, like, not in a good way, in a very depressing way, to the point where their mom, who Tracy fucking Lords plays, by the way, which I loved as, as that cast. Uh, she's great. She's a fantastic in this movie, but Phyllis, the, the mom, has to have an opinion on everything and everybody to the point where even yeah. when she is trying to reconcile with Pauline, before she gets into what she wants to say to Pauline, she has a quick aside of gossiping about the girls from church and like how they're not proper ladies or something. Like she has to have a shitty thing to say on everything and everybody. She's definitely like the stereotypical Karen, but before we like had a label for that for sure but with that religious spin on it too yeah and to that point it's no mistake that Bates included a lot of religious stuff in the background of this movie because his family is half of his family at least is literally from Mississippi so he had and the rest of them are from Virginia that's where he grew up so like he definitely has that big part of his family that's very religious and so he grew up in that environment and a lot of that is kind of channeled through this movie a lot of the frustrations and experiences are channeled through this movie it's also interesting that Annalyn McCord is bringing a lot to this character as well I guess to back up a little bit too, we were talking about like her performance. She's fantastic, period. And one thing that I generally really fucking like roll my eyes and kind of huff over a little bit is just the whole idea of, oh, this gorgeous actress uggoed up for this movie. Isn't she so brave, right? Like, isn't she so strong to like be in this movie with no makeup on? Her hair is gross in this movie. Like that whole thing, whatever. Annalyn McCord goes beyond just, we put her in frumpy clothes and no makeup. She goes beyond the 90s teen sitcom of like, let's take the dumpy girl and make her pretty. Her overall performance, her mannerisms, her body language, like you were saying, Derek, everything plays into this character. Just the weird way that she fucking like holds her mouth, Mm -hmm. that kind of like weird, like she's making a beak with her mouth, like kind of weird smirk that's just that shit smirk that so many kids have where they're like trying not to laugh but they're trying to like be cool at the same time like that's such a weird nuanced little bit that she does in the movie that's so fucking unsettling and aggravating and just make you want to kind of punch it off of her a little bit but it's one of the things that works so well for that character anyway she's bringing a lot to this whole character in the story too and she could really tap in and relate to this because apparently a her father was a fucking pastor yeah and she was fucking homeschooled and you know graduated in air quotes at 15 but even weirder she was in promise keepers i haven't heard of this before no i haven't heard of this either yeah it's fucked up it's one of these weird southern evangelical fucked up things where like okay you're 16 now you're gonna go to this church event with your dad i know your dad is your date And you're going to swear an oath in front of your dad and Jesus that you're going to remain pure until you're married and you're not going to have sex. Essentially, your dad is your husband until you're actually married to your husband. (laughs) Right? It's like that kind of weird shit. It's that very, like, patriarchal, controlling, like, my daughter's not going to fuck kind of thing. It's real gross. 
it's real weird and it's one of those things that they throw like a giant prom like a big daddy daughter date prom thing in the church to do this every year for all the girls turning 16 and it's super fucking weird and it causes a lot of self-worth issues and a lot of bad mental health problems to a lot of the people that end up dealing with all that so she's definitely taking a lot of her background and channeling it into this entire thing as well too well on top of that too she revealed i remember reading about that she revealed a couple years ago that she had child sex abuse back all the way from when she was 11 see i I didn't read any of that but again not surprising yeah in kind of the evangelical church environment she grew up in that shit happens all the time and she was also i think a sexually assaulted by one of her male friends like when she was 18 i remember reading about that as well so like i think she's bringing a lot of energy to this movie that she is channeling over these kind of more traumatic experiences and i think there's something to about Bates and the way that he directs and writes because I mean a lot of the people that are in this movie stuck with him through his other movies Ray Wise shows up in pretty much all of his other movies Annalyn McCord has been in bit parts in a lot of his other movies Matthew Gray Goobler's in basically all of his other movies so there's like a chunk of people that have stuck with him and it's interesting listening to interviews around the time that this movie came out with Annalyn McCord and Ricky Bates Jr. and there is definitely a like shorthand between them that I always really enjoy hearing between directors and their cast where you can really tell like they're not just like friends who can hang out but like they click and there's definitely like an understanding and there's that kind of shorthand between director and actor where they know that they're on the same page and that synchronicity like always really works well and comes out in the movie so that's definitely something that like you can feel that in this for sure that there is more kind of going on that's creating that synergy so yeah it's it's really interesting i mean not just like the whole oh well you know they ugged her up for this movie she's asked to do a lot of extreme shit in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) The character Pauline has this super extreme case of what's love of blood? Is it like hemophilia or something? Like, but she's fucking obsessed with blood. Loves blood. She's having dreams about like bathtubs of blood. She specifically chats up this dude that she goes to school with to like, hey, let's go fuck because I need to lose my virginity. And she's on her period and the imagery of them having all awkward teenage sex in a dirty motel and then cutting to her dream visions of fucking cascades of shining blood (laughs) gushing everywhere all over them and you know just like the awkward horrors of oh i just went down on a girl that was on her period and she's fucking with me about it like that was the best thing too not just oh it's awkward oh we're both embarrassed she was like she was good wasn't it like she was just like really fucking proud of it you know that's always interesting too where a character is just like so fucking need a fucking cigarette unrepentantly like just (laughs) indulgent and nasty like I love those kinds of characters but yeah it's interesting and I will say that's something that's gonna turn a lot of people off to watching this movie because it immediately fucking starts with her like just nasty puking and blood coming out of her like mouth and nose and everything and I get that like blood is in a lot of horror movies right like blood's in a lot of slasher movies and just blah 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 blah. this is blood and a very matter of fact body 
liquid kind of way, and it's being fucking fetishized, which is just kind of a double, like, <laughs> fuck you, fuck in you, a great yeah. kind of way that I kind of love. And that's the thing. That's, like, the fucked up part of me is I love showing people this movie. I'm glad that both of y'all are kind of fucked up from it, honestly. Heather and I watched this movie, and she also is just like, I can't get that fucking movie out of my head. Yeah. I told her that we were covering this episode, and she was like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> really? Yes, really. But yeah, like, the blood in this is one of those things that like is really evocative and it's really interesting and it's really feminine and it's very visceral the blood in this movie is like a deep black red in a way that you don't see in a lot of horror movies where it is over stylized or it's that fucking tempera paint orange kind of fakey blood and there's just something so weird about how that through line passes through this movie just that entire fascination to me like it, it's so weird and it's so off-putting but I can't really think of any other horror movie that's really done that necessarily. Oh, I haven't seen one. I definitely have not seen one that this, uh... By the way, oh, I just realized you have the creepy tile behind you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had, my other, I had my other page open because I was Googling facts about the movie. Yeah, man, I haven't seen one that's, like, been so well-lit and also creepy. <laughs> like, it's yeah. so well-lit and it's so disturbing and it's, it's so, like, just people being taken apart in pieces and stuff like that. God, it's so fucked up. Yeah. yeah, it's not a movie that's all done in the shadows and the darkness like other yeah. horror movies. No, this is just a straight-up suburban-ass house, like, in the middle of the afternoon with fucked-up shit happening, yeah. Yeah, and then the the dream sequences themselves are incredibly well-lit, luminescent, fluorescent, yeah. like an operating suite. Oh, they're straight-up shit from Jodorowsky movies. The opening scene with the two Paulines facing each other is totally the fucking beginning of Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain. That's totally what it is, and I'm sure he did that on purpose, right? So... I'm glad you brought that up because the thing I wanted to ask you, the dream sequences especially, seemed a lot like from images and scenes I've seen of Holy Mountain and also something I think James Hale, frequent guest of the show, has brought up in a recent episode when he was talking about how like French horror movies go extreme, like when you think martyrs. So you already brought up Holy Mountain, so that kind of reaffirms that. But like, would you even say like some of that more intense extreme horror French stuff, like a movie like Martyrs is kind of... No. No, it's different than that. Okay. No. Not at all. It's totally, completely different. This movie is extreme, but this movie is extreme in, like, the matter-of-fact fuck you confrontational nature of the humor and the subject matter it's tackling. I don't think it's extreme in the same way that French extremist movies are like Inside or Martyrs or Frontiers or any of those where it's just extreme on the brutal violence just fucking hammer you with a cinder block until your beef kind of nature. This movie's not like that. This movie has a lot of fucked up stuff in it, but there's not really like anything violent that happens until the very end. Mm -hmm. For all intents and purposes, this is a really black comedy that has a horror movie ending. And horror movie dream sequences. <laughs> well, absurdist 
Like, that's the thing. I think the dream sequences are fucking hilarious because they're so absurd. They're so, like, You're a broken person, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sure, but let's be real. Extract any of those dream sequences and just put Tim and Eric in them, and it's fucking Tim and Eric. It's uh, Yeah, it's anti-comedy, but also most people don't understand Tim and Eric either. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you are the kind of person that likes... Like I said, like Todd Solon's movies, if you like stuff like Happiness, where like fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman is like jerking off on pictures and gluing them to walls. Like if you like that kind of really dark, fucked up American humor kind of thing, this movie's going to be right up your alley. Like if you like John Waters movies, again, John Waters is like in this fucking movie as a priest. Come on, mm-hmm. right? If that's your sense of humor, you know, if fucking like Desperate Living cracks you the fuck up, you're going to love this movie. Period. Like, that's kind of my pitch, I guess. Like, you kind of have to be on that wavelength or you are going to be fucking turning this movie off within yeah. five minutes. Yeah. This is not, like, extreme humor extreme in the sense of, like, humor. Family Guy is, like, so edgy. South Park is so edgy. No, no, no. Not that. It's caustic. It's biting. It's really fucking mean-spirited. It doesn't matter, like, what background you're from. It's going to piss you off somehow or another. Like, this is kind of one of those movies whenever everybody, like, whines and complains about, like, you can't do comedy anymore because everything's too PC and blah blah blah. There's a lot of off-color stuff in this movie, but I don't ever feel like this movie is specifically like, hey, you person, fuck you, right? This is kind of a like fuck everybody kind of movie. Well, and on top of that, we keep saying mean-spirited, but like it doesn't feel like quote unquote canceled movie or would be canceled. It, it no. No, 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 it, it's mean spirited with a purpose. There's mean spiritedness, but then there's mean spirited for like the context of this movie. It's mean spirited to like the characters of the movie. Yeah. It's not mean spirited to like a class of people or something. Exactly. And it's mean spirited to institutions specifically. This movie shits all over high school and how <laughs> yeah. absurd high school is. I love specifically the health class scene where Matthew Gray Goobler is playing the coach who's like, you know, of course, teaching the health class. And he's just like, dick, balls, vagina, yeah, yeah, yeah. any questions, right? Like that kind of thing. Like it's totally just making fun of the absurdity and ridiculousness of high school in America. It's making fun of the church left and right. It's making fun of our fucking broken ass medical system left and right. Yeah. There's so many things like that that it's punching fucking watermelon sized holes through. But it's not necessarily ever targeted at a group of people or individuals or anything like that. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's mean-spirited shit. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of mean-spirited in, like, a fair-handed way across the board. Yeah, I love the gym teacher when he said, uh, when he opened up the note and it was like, are you gay if you try and suck your own dick? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's jokes like that, right? he was like, who wrote this down? Who wrote this? I forgot it was, like, anonymous notes. That scene was fucking funny. Yeah, it was supposed to just be, like, little notes that the student... Yeah. Ask. yeah, and him going, are you gay if you suck your own dick? God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> damn. That's the thing that would actually happen in yeah. that scenario. Yeah. I know for a fact that would have happened at my school if someone had done yeah. that during sex ed. And the other thing that I think is interesting, like, you know, we're talking about this girl and her, like, really fucked up, going through some shit puberty, right? And trying to figure out who she is, what she wants in life, etc. Yeah. She wants connection, she wants family, but she's pushing everybody away at the same time so there's that weird struggle there with her to try to figure out like how she wants
wants to maneuver and engage with everybody around her. What I think is interesting is the parents, instead of sending this child to fucking therapy, they just send her to, to the church priest. to go yeah. hang out with yeah. John Waters. I love that typically in these kinds of real life situations, all that does is it just further alienates and others that kid that needs help and it pushes them deeper into their obsessions mm-hmm. and compounds all the guilt and resentment that they have, right? So just typically in real life, that just fucks the kids up worse, sending them to church to deal with the preacher, to like push it out of them. I do love though, in this case, John Waters as the priest is constantly just kind of listening to all of her horse shit and his answer to everything is just, I don't know. What do you think, yeah. right? I don't have an opinion on this you know he's like your mom sent you here i don't know what to tell you right like that's fucked up i've never heard anything like this get the fuck out of my office right to the point where she just dunks on him for that full hour yeah or whatever but it's interesting too because like in this case his laissez-faire like you're too weird for me i'm gonna back the fuck away from this really only seems to reaffirm all of her twisted ways of thinking and kind of gives her the like go ahead of like you know what yeah you're right God really would want me to do XYZ fucked up things if it means I can do this, right? The end goal, whatever, justifies the means. And he's just like, that's not what I'm... <laughs> God damn it, right? Like, just that, like, I didn't mean well, that, you know? And that kind of just reaffirms more, again, the horror of a broken family in this suburbia yeah. setting, which is, it's great because, like, the house is always in pristine condition. It looks like upper middle class suburbia Americana. It seems like the real hell is the marriage. Yeah. That's yeah. also another, oh, yeah. another aspect yeah. of this. Yeah, The husband has such a pushover. Like, Because you can tell the, the husband sort of thinks that like everything his wife is doing is a bunch of bullshit. Oh, totally. He could have easily at any point like stepped up and be like, no, we're not fucking sending her to the preacher. We're doing this instead. But he never does. He just sits there in like, that depressed daze. Eats, eats ice, ice cream. cream. And then his wife like shits on him 24-7. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. love that he does it like three or four times throughout the movie where he just goes, unbelievable. When she just teases off on him about something but then also to kind of your point of trying to establish a relationship with anybody I wouldn't even say like what she does with the other boy like she really just uses him for the sex at that at the end of the day but I would argue that there's one person in the movie she has a genuine connection with at least on some level and that is her little sister yeah and that like it's fucking thrown out the window in such an unexpected way by the end but throughout the movie they do have some scenes where like they are being good sisters or at least they're kind of along that same wavelength to the point where they're trying they're trying to make it work like you can tell like they don't mesh because their personality types are like completely different yeah yeah. different yeah she looks at her sister as kind of this broken thing that she has some jealousy and resentment toward but then little sister grace is also looking at pauline as like you're my fucked up gross older sister that i'm not gonna take anything you have to say like with any grain of truth right but they're trying to make it work. Yeah, it's weird that the younger sister is like, yeah, you're kind of full of shit, huh? Yeah. She's nice, but you can tell it's kind of like, eh, it's weird that you're so fucked up. Yeah. But then she like defends her at one point against Oh, him. no, she does like defend yeah. her and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, they have a relationship, yeah. but you can tell that she's like in a couple years, she's going to be like, stop, please stop. Yeah, but it's totally just stuff like, you know, her shoving fucking needles through her nose.
nose to pierce her nose to piss off her parents yeah. in the bathroom and her pulling out her tampon yeah. and like smelling it i think that that scene for me i was like i don't know man i, I sort of <laughs> hope certain parts of bodies are not normalized for a while let's just let's all stop <laughs> nearly eating our tampons <laughs> yeah but it's that level of stuff where like she's fascinated with anatomy and the body and everything and she's like i want to go to medical school i want to be a surgeon yeah yeah, yeah. i want to be like a doctor and then everybody else around here is like you're kind of you're an full idiot. shit yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of a fucking idiot and this is kind of nasty stop please stop that's the other thing we haven't really touched on is she is in her way dead fucking serious about that because like she's constantly like telling her mom like she is but she's fucking delusional, delusional about it that's exactly. the great thing about it she's completely all for fucking rocker delusional you know this just reminded me of you know when you're like 15 or 16 and you start getting for the first time like recruitment letters from colleges and stuff yeah yeah like hey come to this state school the very first one i got was from a mortician school fuck yes <laughs> from a, like a local fucking mortician's academy and i was like you know way too young to have an idea of like what i want to do and i was like maybe that's a path <laughs> it would have been perfect for this chick okay i can say this because i know this dude doesn't fucking listen to this show i went to fucking high school with a weirdo fucking dude i wasn't friends with him in the sense that we hung out but we had some classes together we did some theater and debate stuff together mm-hmm. he was a fucking weird cat years later i bump into him in town and it was just kind of like oh hey mansfield how's it going okay yeah yeah i'm doing this this oh neat okay what are you doing well so um i uh, went to mortician school <laughs> hell yeah and uh so i'm a mortician now and it's pretty cool i mostly just sit around all day and wait for people to die <laughs> and i was yeah. just like uh, cool, bro. Nice. <laughs> cool. All right. I don't know what to tell you about that. Like, nice. All right. Cool. And he's like, yeah, yeah. It's fun, man. It's a, uh, it's a great time. And I was like, cool. You do you, bro. And just kind of like walked away. <laughs> That's a great character for a movie, but I don't know if you tr- were trying to make him broy, but make him less inattentive, but kind of like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like, hey, man, I got this job. Mostly, I just wait on people to die. <laughs> pretty much mostly it's just i chill they bring in a body i like i fix it up i got pretty good at makeup i mean that's exactly what this guy is like he's like i get to wear this cool suit <laughs> yeah and i get to just like sit on comfy couches all day and then when somebody dies we like go pick up their body it's rad like that's yeah. exactly the vibe <laughs> he's like, put up and i was just yeah, like yeah i used Christ. to drive an ambulance and when you do that you're always in a hurry not when you're a mortician it's a very chill job <laughs> <laughs> that guy would have been even more of a exactly. legend if he said, I make more money than you ever will, loser, <laughs> and then just fucking left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm also holding down uh, a quarter million a year as a mortician. <laughs> Bye. Deuces. <laughs> but yeah, just that weird delusion of grandeur. And that's the thing. So many fucking serial killers in real life have those delusions of grandeur. But like how many times throughout oh, yeah. the movie is she like bringing up medical shit that she thinks she knows? But she doesn't know fuck all about, right? Mom, you haven't disinfected it yet. And it's like, what? Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. what you think you are. Yeah. yeah. Totally. But so many real-life serial killers had that shit like fucking Bundy and Gacy being all involved in, like, politics and shit. Bundy straight up was just like, I'm gonna be a fucking politician. I'm gonna be a senator, right? And, like, realistically, he probably fucking could have if he wasn't murdering women. (laughs) That was the one thing that held him back. Yeah. If John Wayne Gacy wasn't playing fucking handcuff tricks with boys, he would be a fucking, like, alderman right now. Just that weird... You have those delusions of grand 
manager and you think you can do all this and you know what you might be able to but you're gonna fuck up because you're really fucking weird and you've got some predilections that need to be dealt with that's the interesting thing about her character too is again you want to like her but you fucking can't like her you just can't by the end of it at all yeah that's what i like about her dream sequences as well is every time they show a dream sequence she is full-blown statuesque supermodel like this is how i actually see myself kind of headspace you know sexy wrapped in gauze Mm -hmm. climbing over naked people bodies into like this pool of blood in a tub like lady bathory she has that high opinion of herself in this kind of glorified way yeah and then it cuts back to her in a dirty hoodie like snoring in bed with drool coming out of her mouth yeah yeah i remember when you had mentioned the tv show episodes about, it might have actually been on um silence of the lambs episode but you're talking about hannibal the tv show and how like it kind of has this weird sexuality and like high fashion to it but yeah. then you have people turned into bone furniture as well yeah. in the same thing yeah. and it's kind of that like in her head that's kind of what she thinks she is is like this high class it's that fucked yeah. up juxtaposition yeah seeing hannibal cook this amazing amazing fucking meal laid out on the table and it's like the best chef's table netflix art porn then it immediately cuts to him like turning a fucking body into like this giant mobile art gallery installation and you're like oh this is cool but i can't like this because it's fucked up Mm -hmm. right your brain kind of has that switch of like i kind of like this but i shouldn't like this so yeah like let's talk the cast for a minute because we've been like bringing up people as we go along this is insane cast Mm-hmm. <laughs> Annalyn McCord is the lead. She plays Pauline. Again, we talked about her. She was a former model. She did a lot of TV stuff. Most notably, she was on 90210 and Nip Tuck. She has done a lot of low-key indie movies and stuff like that since. Her mother, Phyllis, is played by Tracy Lords, who is most well-known for her like getting into the beginnings of her career as an adult film star when she was fucking underaged. So she kind of has this notorious past that she struggled to shake over all these years and she kind of came from like a rough upbringing went through a lot of legal troubles obviously because she said fuck it yeah I'm gonna do nude modeling and porn when I'm 15 Mm -hmm. went through all that shenanigans and then she started kind of breaking into like actual movies and TVs from there so she did stuff like a handful of Jim Wynerski movies like Not of This Earth and she was in some early John Waters stuff like Crybaby um, and Serial Mom she was in and the Tommyknockers Stephen King TV show and Skinner and Virtuosity. She's in fucking Blade. She's the redhead woman at the beginning of Blade that like brings the dude to the blood rave. She's in Zack and Miri make a porno kind of as like a I still do porn version of herself. And I did notice too, she's about to be in this movie called The Farm where she plays Belle Gunnis. Oh. One of the most like notorious fuck. female serial <laughs> yeah. killers ever. So I'm curious about that because she's definitely got that like midwestern kind of thing yeah, in her fucking accent that's and good voice casting, and everything. So, man. Yeah, yeah, I want to see her like luring some male suitors out to her 1800s farm and beating them with mallets. So yeah, Tracy Lords is super fucking great in this movie. The little sister Grace is played by Ariel Winter. Most people will know her from Modern Family. Yeah, but she was also in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the Wachowski Speed Racer movie, Last Movie Star. She's done a lot of TV stuff and she's done a lot of voice acting, which I'll come back to in a second. 
The father, Bob, is played by Roger Bart, who was in The Insider, The Producers, Hostel Part 2, American Gangster, Midnight Meat Train. So he's been in like a weird smattering of stuff from like all genres. And then from there, we have all these fucking great cameos. Every character actor ever. Yeah. (laughs) So like I mentioned a second ago, we've got Marley Matlin showing up in one scene as the guidance counselor. I fucking love her last line. That was just... Okay, so Marley Matlin is a deaf actress and so she is playing a character who is deaf the mother phyllis is doing that usual thing of i'm going to talk to you like you're a dumb dumb and it's like i can fucking understand you perfectly fine i'm just deaf right in that like weird condescending way but i just love her last line which is sometimes i'm really thankful for my loss of hearing because then i don't have to hear people like you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that fucking scene was one that got me pretty good with yeah. I, I, I had a laugh out loud moment on that one yeah and like i said she won the fucking Academy Award for Best Actress in 86 for Children of a Lesser God. And uh, she was in Alex Cox's Walker and The Player, lots of TV stuff. We already mentioned John Waters, of course, you know, legendary trash director is one of my favorites. Ray Wise is the principal in this fucking movie. Of course, so like Twin Peaks, Swamp Thing, Cat People, RoboCop, Dead End, X-Men First Class, tons of fucking TV. He had another laugh out loud moment for me. She goes to the principal's office and he basically says, you're indefinitely suspended. She leaves the office. He looks at that picture of George W. Bush on his wall and does like a shrug of like, I can't believe this. These people, what do I do, George? <laughs> yeah. And that was just like a small little like character moment that made me fucking laugh so much. Malcolm McDowell is the fucking like math teacher in this movie and same thing they like got him for a day and he was like sure why not of course fucking if clockwork orange caligula cat people just tons and tons and stuff over the years and then Matthew Gray Goobler plays the fucking like coach so I knew he has a like massive online thirsty following of women that fucking love this dude. And it's because he's been on that show Criminal Minds. I didn't fucking realize not only has he been on Criminal Minds, that show has been running for 15 fucking years. Yeah. That dude has had a paycheck as an actor for 323 episodes of this show since 2005. And that was his second acting gig. But his first gig was the doofy intern in Life Aquatic that gets the shit kicked out of him through the entire movie. But then, yeah, he, like, lands Criminal Minds as is on that show for 15 fucking years. Like, he's gonna be making syndication money for the rest of his life, right? Hell yeah. And then he's also, like, the voice of Simon in all the Chipmunks movies. <laughs> he's been in some oddball shit, but yeah, he has a pretty wild fan base, and he's been in all of Bates' movies as well. He's one of the leads in Suburban Gothic, which also has Ray Wise in it, and he's about to be the lead in this new one, which Bates has described as cult comedy. Literally, it's a comedy about a cult and a cult leader who has like a midlife crisis. Sure, so I'm down. Wild fucking cast in this movie, and this is just another dumb, like, just for me and Derek kind of thing I'll point out because we like pointing this out. Every fucking movie we do, somebody's done voice work on a Batman cartoon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And this movie has four fucking people. So, Malcolm McDowell did voice work on Batman the Animated Series. 
Ray Wise was Commissioner Gordon in The Killing Joke. Matthew Gray Goobler was the Riddler in Assault on Arkham. And Ariel Winter was Carrie Kelly Robin in Dark Knight Returns. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Again, I know that's like a just for me and Derek kind of in-joke thing that we Hell bring yeah. up on the show. But so many fucking people have done voice work on Batman things. Probably because there's been like a million Batman things. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Right? So anyway, yeah. Great cast. I know that this movie kind of fucked y'all up based on what you just said, right? Yeah. I would definitely recommend check out his other stuff. Oh, when I say it fucked me up, this is is a good movie like i fucking loved it i definitely want to like watch his other stuff now but it did fuck me up in that horror movie like <laughs> sit with you way that not many hor- uh, horror movies do but when they do it that's when i know i watch something genuinely terrifying yeah suburban gothic is definitely more comedy so it's a little more fun but it definitely still has that edge trash fire in a lot of ways is way more fucking mean-spirited. It's this couple that never should have been together, certainly never should have gotten married. Both of them just at each other's throats the entire fucking movie, and then, like, they go and meet his super-religious, judgmental, shitty grandmother and, like, stay with her for the weekend. It goes horror in maybe even darker, more intense ways than this movie does. Oh, I'll keep that in mind when we cover it later on. Yeah, we might cover this like in another year or two. It's definitely more like really mean-spirited, dark, fucked up kind of, I guess, drama, like dark comedy kind of thing. But there's horror shit in it. And then he did Tone Deaf most recently with Robert Patrick. So he's got a pretty good chunk of stuff that he's managed to make. But that's kind of the interesting thing listening to him is I've listened to a ton of younger up-and-coming filmmakers. And you always hear a lot of the same struggles of getting money, deals falling through. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, I had financing and, like, the producer turned out to be a fucking weirdo. Hey, I had all this cast set up and nobody could do it ultimately. Hey, I had distribution set up and all fell through. Like, you hear a lot of the same stories because everybody kind of has the same struggles. What cracks me up listening to Ricky Bates is he is very self-deprecating. He's got a very dark sense of humor as well. He's got so many of the same stories, but it's so many of the same stories where like they're kind of taken to that next extreme of what he kind of did to get in the situation or how he got out of the situation. So his interviews are also kind of interesting to listen to as well. I could get why a lot of people would maybe be turned off by some of his stuff immediately because like I said he's a little bit much you could tell he's the kind of person that you would maybe like talking to but not want to hang out with (laughs) kind of like a lot of the characters in his movies but his writing I think is really interesting and it's kind of fresh for a lot of the stuff that you see nowadays in terms of like both comedy and horror stuff so this is a movie that like I, I don't think cleanly fits into any category but I feel like it's enough horror that we're talking about it oh it's for sure a horror movie dude come on now (laughs) yeah another thing that i wanted to kind of bring up that we can kind of chew on as we end this episode so we've been talking about how pauline and her little sister grace seem to genuinely love each other and they genuinely seem to like kind of care for each other despite there like being some pretty wide gaps between them personality wise so spoiler alert we're gonna like talk the ending yeah you know, we've been beating around the bush let's actually talk about the ending right now right so ultimately we find out that her sister who has cystic fibrosis has to have a lung transplant and there's this girl across the street that she fucking hates and is just like shit glaring through the entire movie and so she hatches this plan to uh kidnap the girl across the street 
cut her fucking lungs out in the garage and then just, you know, dump them into her sister, mm-hmm. take her broken lungs out and just put the other ones in just like fucking operation. Just drop them on in and they'll work. Right. Yeah. And of course, none of this works because she's a fucking 15 year old who has no idea what she's doing. So the question is, does Pauline truly care about Grace and love her and genuinely wants her to like overcome her affliction? Or is this Pauline's desperate and like obviously ill-advised attempt to like fix Grace only so that she's no longer the like precious good daughter that makes Pauline look worse in every possible way by comparison even more so than she already does? Is this some weird twisted like I'm gonna fix my sister because she's the main problem in our family that everybody is obsessed with and that will then fix my life and my chances or do we really truly buy that she loves and cares about her like a hundred percent no matter what would it be a cop-out to say like a little bit of both a and b i no, no because that's kind of how i feel I'm, I'm a simple man. I didn't even consider that second aspect. Well... So, the fact, the fact that you're coming at me with a metaphor, I didn't even consider that. Well, that's the thing. I didn't necessarily consider it either, and now that you've mentioned I am thinking about it, but I do think it's a little bit of A and B. I do think there is her own weird way of love, and I'll even throw a C at you. I do think there's a little bit of her own weird... She does actually care for her sister, but I also think there's a little bit of B, wants to fix her, because once that problem's fixed, then, like, my sister can go off and live her life. I can, like... Then and, you know, fix my shit. I can prove I can do this. I can be a surgeon. But then there's the C and the C that I don't think uh, you had brought up or considered maybe the idea of the serial killer allowance totally. of just like finally connecting the A to B of that's the golden ticket to make me like have an orgasm is like when I cover myself in an innocent person's blood. I think that this is a little bit of A, B, and C. So C being just an excuse. An excuse to like let that serial killer. Totally. Basically, it, if it wasn't this, it could have been anything yeah i mean it, exactly it was convenient yeah. yeah 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 and i think that this is like also a little bit of see of this is her moment i think it was Dahmer kept talking about like this jogger that went by his house and like he finally got up the courage that like today's gonna be the day i'm gonna hide in this bush with this bat and when the jogger runs by i'm gonna beat him over the head drag him into the bush and then do whatever that would be the serial killer thing but like that was the one day the jogger didn't show but if he did i'd imagine Dahmer would have killed his ass right there in the bush this is her dauber moment i think the opportunity has arisen for me to let this out i agree and i asked that question with me myself not really feeling like it is one way or the other i feel like you're saying it's kind of a like a b and c thing where her excuse her outside answer her like public reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing is I love my sister and I want her to be fixed. The underlying like real deep psychological subconscious reason is maybe this will fix all the fucked up shit in our family if they're not having, if parents aren't having to worry about her and I can get some attention, I can get what I need and I'm not the weird black sheep kid anymore. And then there is that very not under the surface a whole lot answer of, and I guess I could also fucking kill somebody. I could actually like do this and see what it's like for real. instead of picking up dead birds from the fucking bush at school and bringing them home and cutting them open yeah if her if her sister didn't have cystic fibrosis like this would have happened in two years anyway 
You know what I mean? Something exactly. Else, right? Yeah, something else would have happened. It would have taken a few more pushes to get there, but this was kind of inevitable one way or another because she's not getting the fucking help she needs and she's also not self-aware enough to say, hey, I kind of need some help. I'm kind of fucked up. She's a 15-year-old and that's kind of the other thing with like so many real-life serial killers is they don't have anybody in their real life to say, hey, dude, you need help. And they're also not self-aware enough to realize like hey i need help right she places the blame on everybody else which to an extent is warranted because like her parents are total fuck-ups in their way the school seems to be failing her with none of the adults recognizing the fact that she has like a problem that needs professional medical help mental health like all these adults are failing her and just kind of like wanting to push her away because she's the weirdo and they just are tired of dealing with her yeah so you have that but you also have it to the point where like the first prayer session she's like i don't even know if i believe in you but then like one of the later prayer sessions she's like well it's your fault god you gave me hormones when she's saying like this weird like my weird aversion with blood and sex and all that but kind of like walk through that scene like when her mom walks in right the two bodies are on the table the two most haunting images in this movie to me are the dream sequence where like they turn around that head and it's her own head spitting blood out yeah that scene was like pretty haunting but then the other thing that really stuck in my head was that scene of her sister on the table just pouring out blood out of her mouth obviously dead she literally did it like she literally cut open the the other girl took out her lungs and put them in her sister but of course they're both dead but that like what's so fucking tragic and like gut punching was that camera shot over her face with like her dead face the lights out of her eyes everything and like when her mom walks in she's just like come see see like this was my first surgery like it's a little bit of a mess but see how good my incisions are see how good like my stitching is kind of also realizing that like i killed my sister the first surgery wasn't my best but like i'm learning yeah but she's fully in the about it too the scariest scene in this entire movie is the very 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 end when like they're holding each other and like her mom is wailing and then she lets out that like ear piercing scream and then it cuts to the credits Mm. and you can tell that's the moment where like she finally accepts the fact that oh wait i did this yep this is kind of my fault i just fucked up real bad it's like that exact moment of realization and then you have smash cut to credits yeah uh, yeah, that was a really intense last three minutes of a movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, really fucking like, intense. Oh god, she's really gonna she's gonna do this. Oh god, we gotta watch this now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, right up until the very end, there was no real like wrap up after either. No, <laughs> no, not like, at all. The last three minutes is like, oh, this is gonna be painful to look at. And it was <laughs> the thing that's also made it extra haunting was she shaved her head because of like that weird again like I have to be completely like desanitized clean clean sterile sterile before this procedure so i'm gonna shave my head so she's like this fucking maniac girl who's bald now and covered in her own sister's blood apparently she really did shave her head too that was like one of the things bates told basically every actress that came in for this role was okay you're gonna have to shave your head and most of them understandably were like cool bye i'm out i can't just wear a bald cap all right fine that's sitting for me and apparently he told her like yeah you're gonna have to shave your head for the end of the movie and uh she was like 
yeah, I don't give a fuck. I'll shave my head right now. She, like, pulled a steak knife off the table in the restaurant and was cutting chunks of her hair off. And he's just like, slow the fuck down. <laughs> right? Like, we're yeah, good. Yeah, we have to shoot the beginning of the movie, dude. <laughs> Chill. Yeah. So she was very gung-ho about it and wasn't afraid to jump right into that at the very end. The 2008 short film, like, I see that I think it's even on YouTube. Did either of y'all watch that? It's only, like, 18 no. minutes long. I did not. I did not watch that. I looked for it and couldn't find it but maybe i like accidentally had some weird filter on and i wasn't searching for it right but no if it's on youtube i need to go find it i have this on blu-ray and i was very surprised like pop the disc in thinking okay surely the short film's on here surely there's some other stuff there's like nothing on the blu-ray yeah i want to go back and watch it yeah if it's on youtube i need to go find it i want to go back and watch it but i kind of skimming through it right before we recorded it does have a lot of the similar beats that this movie does just way more flushed out sure but like the ending seems very very similar to this one which is interesting but uh yeah i mean i I don't think the version i found was like an official upload i just think it was somebody on youtube who uploaded it randomly yeah yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of purposely hard to find because bates has purposely taken steps off of social media he's not on twitter he's not on facebook like he's purposely kind of completely pulled like every bit of himself off the internet for the most part so you know i it wouldn't surprise me if he also took a lot of his other projects off as well and they might be a little bit difficult to find but i'm gonna go search that out and see if i can find it and watch it afterward just out of curiosity well again that whole ending like the sister's blank dead face her mom's fucking screech and then like the smash cut to the credits and then you have was it water flower by the pacific ocean like super depressing song like playing over the credits (laughs) and it was just like jeez like i kind of sat there staring at the credits for a good minute or two like did I just fucking watch that? Yeah, <laughs> like... that's kind of exactly what Heather's reaction was. Credits rolled for a good bit, and we just like sat there. And I just let her kind of marinate in it, and eventually she was just like, "That was a really fucked up movie." <laughs> that's like all she had to say. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, kind of was." Well, that's the thing. Like, it was really fucked up, but like, it wasn't like, "Oh my god, the most fucking edgy, fucked up thing you'd ever see." But like, it's far yeah. more effective th- because you're laughing through most of it, but then like by the end, yeah, it's just like a fucking sledgehammer in the teeth. I, I know you said like if you probably would turn this off in the first five ten minutes if you can't get on this movie's level, dude. I think in the first minute because the first scene again, it just goes into a fucking dream sequence that's like intense well like i said it's her like gushing blood on one side and then her like orgasming on the other yeah yeah it's totally her like hemophilia or whatever the term is for it hell yeah they should make a second one of these where she's in prison and she's still a psycho (laughs) yeah that would be interesting follow it up do like a women in prison like exploitation movie and her is like the fucking psycho in the middle hell yeah lady joker (laughs) we live in a society of blood yeah and just cut to like real time 10 years later what is she doing now cool so before we wrap up any final thoughts uh man you know i i really just gotta say that you know, after watching this movie, it was a tough watch, but like, it was really brave of her to really ug up for this thing. You know, <laughs> goddamn, <laughs> so brave. 
god damn. Um, <laughs> we covered pretty in depth everything I wanted to touch on. Uh, I still don't think this is like a good movie for horror newbies. Fuck you, Aaron. Like, get a <laughs> yeah. couple more under your belt before you jump into this one. I'd say, but it is. It was a great movie. So my side of that coin is, I think if you can handle the caustic comedy of this, the horror part, I feel like you can probably handle better. I think most people are going to be turned off if they're not willing to jive with the sense of humor that this movie yeah. has. The yeah. blood and all the like gore stuff at the very end is definitely intense. But I think this movie's like sense of humor, if you're not willing to like just kind of sit in a oven for a little bit with this movie, I think that caustic energy might be a little bit much for some people. Yeah, if you vibe with this movie in the light parts of it, you'll probably vibe with it in the dark parts. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say at your own caution. <laughs> let's put it that yeah. way. But yeah, this movie's one that I saw it years ago, just kind of on a whim. I saw the poster, which is her kind of done up as Queen Elizabeth with like all this weird, very like the cell Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez kind of energy. And I was like, what the fuck is this movie? Put it on. Nothing like the poster, right? The poster is totally like a crazy, maybe like one of the dream sequences they didn't end up filming or they did film and like didn't add in the movie or whatever. But, you know, I put it on out of curiosity and was genuinely surprised. I was very surprised by like the level that the movie goes to in terms of its humor. I was very taken by the characterization of Pauline. I was very taken by all the performances. I loved all the fucking cameos. And the ending, like I said, we've all said, is just like such a sledgehammer. And it kind of knocked me on my ass. And it pretty much has knocked everybody that I've ever shown this movie to on their ass. I think there's a lot of horror movies that come and go through your head like paper and they're disposable. Again, anybody that's ever seen this movie, I've never met any that was just like yeah it was fine you know i don't really think about it that much this movie kind of sticks in the back of your head oh yeah and it's one that you kind of think about pretty regularly and you're not gonna forget a lot of what this movie does and i think that's maybe one of the best things that movies of any type can do if a movie sticks in your head like that there's something kind of special about that movie so again yeah i would definitely give this a like full stop recommendation definitely go check it out and let us know what you think so i'm very curious to know what other people's thoughts are on this i would recommend it maybe not to a stranger yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah true (laughs) maybe not the first thing i'd if i've just met somebody at a party but yeah but i'd recommend it yeah it's definitely one of those things like if you're just getting to know strangers like at a bar there's a handful of those movies that like you don't want to immediately be like bruh have you ever seen funny games that movie's fucking great man i love it yeah Uh, you know maybe not like the first thing you want to bring up. Yeah. True. First recommend murder mystery. If they can get past that, <laughs> then we're on to <laughs> yeah, There you go. Yeah, once you find out they're a Sandler head, they're into this. If they're down with Sandler, they should be great on bloodgasms. <laughs> Adam Sandler's excision. It's just him in the dream sequences being like <laughs> until it ends with him fucking dissecting paul blart (laughs) yeah it's just him on one side going like slabbity-doo and then fucking a crucified paul blart on the other side (laughs) shitting into a jar yeah so yeah uh i guess that's uh it for this episode derek you want to take us out sure we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by the coward myself and my movie co-host monster boy aaron 
we're in, in which we watch horror movies over all the ages and subgenres and discuss fears, phobias, and just how scary they are. You can find us on pretty much all the podcatchers now, Podbean, Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, all that stuff. Please continue to rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts. It's not subscribe to us, right? It's follow us now. It's follow us. Yeah, we have to say that for like all of them because subscribe yeah. makes you think that you got to pay for something. No, 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 we're not about that life yet. Yeah. So yeah, follow us, please. Shout out to your little brother for the bumps at the beginning and end of each episode. Uh, your little brother, Jesse Mansfield, he has a bunch of music projects, Party Gator, Opossums, all his stuff is on Bandcamp. Please go support his music. It's all good shit. Speaking of which, shortly after this episode drops... His band, Big Clown, is actually going to be playing at Gonerfest 18 in Memphis, Tennessee, which is September 23rd to 26th. Definitely check that out if you are in the area. There's going to be a lot of good shit playing there. Fucking Henry Rollins and Greg Turner are going to be like some of the MCs. Cool. Fuck yeah. So yeah, definitely go check out the bands there. Check out his band, Big Clown, and see some cool shit. Awesome. And then also, speaking of music, check out our Spotify music playlist uh, that's influenced by both me and Aaron and the stuff we watch and just other kind of spooky themed type music. Um, You can find the link to that pinned to our Twitter and our Twitter and Facebook are at Watch If You Dare. Again, thanks, Zach Lamplew, for being on our podcast. Uh, Again, check out his movie. Check out the movie 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. Number one will blow your mind. It's on Amazon iTunes and I don't know all the other fucking joints soon to be on showtime baby nice congratulations again uh do you want people to follow you anywhere or do you have any projects in specific you want to bring up or that are coming up or Eh, no i'm I'm writing something right now but it has i whatever man it's not anything that people need to know about check me out on twitter i'm secret grandpa Uh, (laughs) Secret (laughs) grandpa baby but yeah that's all i got uh what do you got aaron take us out hey sally does your dad have any stds no okay good then neither do I.